Greg is one of those user researchers who have the most holistic view on research, be it product research or content research. Greg has done it all. He says that he has found his happy place in the world of content. Let's hear Greg's story. I'm sure this will help you become a holistic researcher yourself. This is India's first user research podcast, Core User to UX, and I am your host, Sweekriti. Thank you so much for joining in, Greg. It is great to have you here. I've had one of the most interesting conversations with you. And the most fascinating thing about you and your background is that you have worked for a product-based company, like a purely product-based company, for example, MailChimp. And now you're working for a content-based company, that is Hearst Magazine. And you opened the door for a really new kind of research for me, that is content research, which I haven't, like I hadn't even thought about it previously. So I would like you to shed light upon that aspect and let my listeners know as well that, okay, there's something like content research, which is your happy place as you mentioned it. So yeah, please go ahead. Yeah. Of course, I'm always happy to talk about content. So as you said, I did work at MailChimp where it was a product organization. We were working on the MailChimp app. Uh, since then, I've gone to media organizations such as Vox Media, Condé Nast, and now Hearst Magazines. And there's a reason for that, which is I really love working in the content space. I still think of content like any other product. So we are creating whether it's the written word or podcasts or videos or or any other, you know, a slideshow, a gallery, we're still creating a product, but that product is not, it's not how you would traditionally think of a product. We have content creators, we have writers and editors and videographers creating content. We have audiences who we hope discover that same content. And I work in that middle ground where we're trying to figure out for all the stuff that we make, how will people discover it? Do they value it? Do they value it enough to pay for it? Um, and do they value it enough to make it a habit in their lives that you know they they would not want to replace with anything else? So it's still like any other product where we're doing user experience research. It's just when you're working in content, it's a bit different because you're trying to understand how does somebody discover this article that you wrote or this coverage you're creating whether it's political content or, or health content, you can end up on an article or a website through a search engine, through a recommendation from a friend, through an inclusion in a newsletter. So there's just a whole lot of space to explore and opportunities to improve that experience. And that's what I've discovered is where I'm happiest, is trying to understand how do we connect the dots between what we're creating and how people will discover it and keep coming back to it. A really interesting point that you brought up was, will users or readers value it enough to make it a habit? I would like to know a little bit more about habit-inducing understanding of that kind of behavior. Because what I have done till now is like understanding the pattern and obviously understanding the behavior. But when it comes to inducing a new kind of habit or maybe in your case, in introducing a new kind of content, like, how do you study that aspect that, okay, if I have to introduce some new thing, how should I put it so people are actually open to it? Like, what's the entire process, if I, if that makes sense? Uh, I'll give you the traditional research answer uh, of it depends. But one is I try to rely on 
evidence of past behavior to indicate a propensity to to make a purchase, for example. So if we are looking to see if people might be interested in purchasing a new type of content we're offering, I'll start with the people who have already bought content from somewhere else. Um, so for example, when I was at Vox Media, we were looking to see if people might be interested in a specific type of subscription. Uh, we started with our readers who also might pay for the New York Times, or maybe they pay to support a creator on Patreon. Um, maybe they subscribe to a YouTube membership. But I start there just to see, okay, among people who already are willing to pay for content, um, let me see if what I'm showing them is something that they would find interesting. And if it's interesting, okay, we've got something to go with we we have a start is it interesting enough for them to make a habit of it so we could test out maybe sign up to receive notifications when there's new content like this and if people are actually signing up to be notified when there's new content that indicates that they want this to become a part of their lives they're interested in this becoming not just a one-time thing but a habit and then we could test out different pricing scenarios we could put pricing pages in front of perspective um, purchasers. So are you interested in a monthly or an annual subscription? You know, we can get their responses to different price points. But I, I usually start with the people who have already done the thing I want to see them do again. That's evidence that they have made a purchase before, uh, that they value having content delivered to them, uh, or not even delivered, but they value having access to content. So let's see if this additional new content we've created is something that they would find interesting and willing, they'd be willing to pay for. I'm also realizing I've used the word content about 300 times uh, in the last 10 minutes, so I'm sure your listeners are going to want to mute this call as soon as possible. I don't think so, because uh, even my thinking was so limited to product and introducing a new pillar. And luckily, even now I have to do a research for a piece that is very content-oriented, so the timing couldn't have been any better. Like, it's perfect. And I love listening about it. So, Greg, what I feel, I do not have any research done on this, but at least for my generation or when I'm in the job market, as they say it in India, UX research has become more popular with introduction of new products, like very digital SaaS-based products. Like, this kind of content research, I've rarely heard about it. So I would like you to draw some parallels between product research and content research so that if in future someone has to do this kind of research or there is even a mix of content and product research, it can help them. So please elaborate. Yeah, I, I still, I would go back to my point that content is just any other type of product. So how do we package that in a way that a potential user would discover it and find value in it. So for example, I work at Hearst. One of our brands is Cosmopolitan. Um, another one of our brands is L. There is horoscope content that people are coming and reading. So one of my recent projects was around how could we improve that experience of making horoscopes more meaningful to our users. Um, I can't go into all the details because we haven't launched everything yet, but we still have to do any, this type of research, it's like any other product where we're trying to find people who 
they're interested in advice, number one. Um, what types of advice are they interested in? That's what we need to understand. What is the ecosystem of advice people get um, from friends and family, from trusted resources, from publishers? How do they want to receive that information? It, just like any other product, how do they want to be notified when there is new advice? How do they want to keep up with this advice? How do they want to ask questions? What topics do they need advice about? Um, then we can start going into testing out some different interfaces. So for example, I mentioned horoscopes. What are some different ways people want to get horoscope advice? Um, do they want a uh, interface? Do they want to just go to a topic? Uh, do they want personalized advice? Do they want to read stories from other people? It's it, There's a lot of discovery. There's a lot of um, I guess narrowing down the funnel until we land on the right way to present this information and present it in a way that's meaningful to our users. So um, that's that's one example of how we're productizing this content and turning it into a product that hopefully people will find valuable enough that they will come back to it and ideally pay for it. Um, you know, there's also we have brands like Men's Health and Women's Health and prevention where we have fitness uh, content, we have videos, we have guides. So if instead of thinking of it as content, we think of it as products that people will buy, health products. And so we have to understand who is even looking for health uh, or fitness guidance. Um, where do they typically go? What do they look for? What do they need? Um, how, are, how do they typically pay for it if they do pay for it? And what can we learn from that to better create a better product uh, that we can offer that might fill a need in the market? So I say I work in content, but that content still has to be turned into a product that we can then position and sell, um, hopefully to a, a very loyal audience. So, Greg, uh, that was pretty helpful in the terms of seeing content as a product and uh, yeah that will actually make the user researchers mental models uh, smoother to adapt so that you know if i'm pivoting from a role of product research to a content researcher that mental model doesn't have to deconstruct and make a new one so yeah that is helpful that perspective is helpful let's switch gears here and let's talk about user research in general. So in our intro call, there is another interesting point that you brought up is that, you know, you have been reading these articles that user research this way, user research that way, and why you are doing user research wrong. And I get it. it it's a content content world and all kinds of content are being generated. But there is something really important that you brought up with respect to establishing user research and I guess you're the perfect person to talk about it because you have written a book and it's about user research uh, so uh, coming from that experience I would like you to talk a little bit about your book how should an organization or a user researcher react to all these articles that are coming out that you know user search this way user research that way what what is your stand on that yeah so my book is about what it means to be a user researcher and 
the book came about because no matter what I was speaking about at conferences or writing about, the questions I would always get were around how do I get into user research? What does it what does the day-to-day job of user research look like? How do you go from an individual contributor to a manager? How do you scale up a team? Once you become a manager or director, where do you go next? So that was something that I thought was a gap in the marketplace that I could try to fill, but I couldn't do it myself because my path as a researcher is different than anybody else's. Um, Everybody's path is unique. And so I open sourced the book. I asked for contributions from other researchers, both individual contributors and managers, um, people who work in every type of industry, whether it is social media or health or nonprofits. And the goal of the book was to show that there's no one way to do research. There's no one career path. Um, But if you're interested in being a user researcher, these are some possible ways that your your career might go. This is what your job might look like. And so from that, I learned that there's no, there's no standard, right? Um, all of us are doing research to support the very specific needs of our respective organizations or for consultants for our clients, which means there's no plug and play research approach. We all will be working with different user bases um, on different products with different uh, stakeholders who have different expectations. And so we have to be flexible. We have to be Swiss Army knives. Um, And so when I see articles that say this is how research should be done or, you know, research isn't being positioned properly or, you know, we're not doing things the best way possible, that is, um, that should be taken with a grain of salt because that is not applicable to every user researcher. It's, it might make sense for a few people, but in my experience, I've never had the same approach to user research work from organization to organization. It always is different. And it's different because every organization has different tools, different people, different ways to communicate. So I really do believe that there's no one way to do it. And if you're doing it effectively for your peers and your stakeholders and for your users, you're probably doing it the right way. So there is a really great quote by my favorite author, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Not a quote, but an idea that, you know, when you start seeking validation from the people of your own profession, that is where you're doing something wrong. And this thing that you are saying is really important for new user researchers because they will be like okay this senior researcher or this great researcher has written some article and I should try it in my organization you can try it you can experiment surely but you don't need the validation of another user researcher in any way the only response or the feedback that you need is from your stakeholders and your users and if that's correct even if you're not following a single thing, you are on the right path. So that is really important to say out loud. And thank you so much for bringing that up. In fact, you only put that idea in my head that, you know, this kind of conversations are going around. So thank you so much for that. Uh, I really, I'd never heard that quote before, but it really resonates. I, I also want to 
call out. I'm not saying we should be doing bad research. Like we still need to maintain some good practices. You know, we don't want to ask leading questions. We want to make sure we're talking to the right people. And at the end of the day, we are here to serve our businesses um, and serve their their business goals. So, you know, whether that is increasing revenue or increasing um, user number of users, we still have business goals we need to achieve. But it doesn't mean that what works at at Meta is going to be applicable to your organization, or what's applicable at Spotify might not to your organization. So we're going to have to pull the best the best parts and practices that apply to our unique situation. But we still have to do good research. It doesn't, I'm not trying to give anybody a license to do bad research and say, well, that's how I'm going to do it. Um, it just means that what works for one person might not be the right approach for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you're focusing on business goals. Because oftentimes in the noise of things and because, you know, there is this distinction that is being created, UX research, user research, and UX research being so up and coming, uh, there might be some tunnelization in how one can think. So you have had a great experience. I would like you to talk more about understanding overall business goals and the overall business. And it's a very common and obvious things but still people can miss it out so how have you walked that path of you know even if it's a very specific like you could be working on a page but even in that page how do you bring that business goal and how you're always aware of it like just talking about it i use the business goal and the company's objectives you know whether it's an okr or uh you know, a KPI, whatever acronym you want to use. That is the first criteria to determine if we should even do research. Um, and so if a project is not going to impact the business's goals, it's probably not a good research project. Um, if a project is not going to lead to new knowledge, it's probably not a good project. If it's only going to talk to users that we already know a lot about, and not going to broaden our perspective is probably not a good project. So I'm very quick to say, I don't think this is a worthy research project. It's not going to help us with our business goals. It's not gonna help us acquire new knowledge. It's not gonna help us better understand our users. Um, so I use that to filter out whether a project should even be a project or not. Um, or if somebody is really interested I will help them set up their own study, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to do it because there's probably a more high priority project that I could devote my time to. So we we are hired to support our businesses. That's probably our highest priority is to make sure that whatever we do is in support of the business's goals. So for example, if I have a choice, or not a choice, but if I'm presented with two projects, one of which could lead to increasing revenue and the other one is just it would be nice to know i'm going to choose the one that's going to increase revenue because that is how our salaries are paid that is how we keep creating content and how i keep my job so that's that's how i think of it you have to have you have to know what the business outcome uh is going to be from a project otherwise it's not a it's not a well-defined project absolutely and i'm glad you mentioned all these points because what happens or what I have experienced 
is that there is feedback in all directions on all things and then something comes up oh we should do user research on that and everyone is saying that there is an echo chamber but then it comes to me and then finally i have to see it without any bias like do we actually need it we have 100 other things to do is that really important so thank you for bringing that up because having a filtering mechanism as a user researcher is really important and oftentimes there will be less user researchers and a lot of research to do so having a proper filtering and elimination mechanism becomes really important at that point of time and all the points that you have brought up like more revenue okay that gets the priority it sounds obvious but when you're actually in the practice you know it can just fade away with noise and discussions so thank you so much for bringing that up yeah of course and you know to your point when i first started as a ux researcher i was just happy to do research and talk to users i was not thinking about business outcomes uh so that's something that you know i quickly learned how do i make my work valuable and impactful it has to be tied to a company objective otherwise it's just i don't want to say a waste of time but it's it's fluffy it's filler it's not impactful so over time and through some good coaching and good managers i've learned if it's not going to help us meet our business goals it's probably not a good project yep absolutely so, Greg, another question or topic that I would like to talk about is inside dissemination. What happens oftentimes is that a research can take a few months, like a, a month or even two months. And I try to keep my stakeholders in loop through checkpoints or, and sort of daily stand-ups. But still, they're looking for that golden insight. So, what about the timing of this inside dissemination? Like, I refrain from giving insights before I've compiled everything because I don't want to bias anyone's opinion or decision-making in any way. What is your stand on that and what has your experience been like? Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, the, I've come to realize that the right time to share user research was yesterday. Oh, look, people want answers immediately because they have their own decisions to make in their roles, whether they're a product manager or designer. Um, as the people closest to our users, we are in a good spot to recognize when something we hear or see is notable. And so if I hear something in an interview or I see something, if I'm watching somebody interact with a prototype or a live product, if it stands out, I will, I will note that right after the call and share it with my colleagues. And I could do that because I have subject matter expertise because I am the one closest to our users. And so I try to share things as soon as possible after every call, what stood out? What do we need to dig into further? How do we need to refine our, our discussion guide to really go deeper into a certain subject? Um, so I am trying to get faster, which I know that seems like it's a recipe for doing bad research, but at the same time, our organizations are going to ship products and make decisions whether they have our user research or not. So I am trying to make sure that even if I didn't spend a month on a project and only spent a week, that week is still better than nothing. And hopefully I can do the research that will help make better decisions on the part of my colleagues. Um, so to answer your question, 
I tried to scope projects to providing deliverables after every call. And also I try to make projects last. Um, even if a project needs to last six weeks, every two weeks there is a deliverable so that people aren't waiting six weeks for results. They are going to get something after after two weeks and two weeks is completely arbitrary. That's just how my teams work. If you work in one week sprints, make sure you are delivering work that meets that sprint cadence. So I also will say, because people don't wait for decisions, make sure your research is centralized and findable where people will find it. So I know there's lots of repository tools out there, but if your organization works in Google drives, create a Google drive with all your research. If you work in you know, uh, if your organization uses Jira exclusively in Confluence, put your work in Confluence. Put the research where people will find it so that they don't have to wait on you and you're not blocking it. And also deliver fast or deliver quickly so that people will know what you're working on and have the most recent information as you're finding it. That sounds like a good strategy. Um, disseminating something every sprint end. I guess I'll experiment with that. And yeah, on the other hand, we can also like talk about quotes or send quotes that encapsulate a behavior or an insight. So that is also a great thing that I have put into practice lately. And your idea of what you are implementing sounds great. I'll try to put it here as well and let's see what are the results. The other thing is um, highlight reels are even better than quotes. So if you have a way to capture a, a one minute clip of a user expressing a pain point or an opportunity, um, that's straight from the user's mouth. That's even better than putting a quote uh, in your company Slack or in an email or reciting it over a Zoom call. So highlight reels are, that's the best way to get people on board with, with what you're seeing and hearing. Yeah, absolutely. Great ideas there, Greg. Thank you so much. People at my organization are going to find user research a little bit more colorful and they'll be like, what happened to speak to me? <laughs> All thanks to Greg. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not me. It's, it's the knowledge of the community. Uh, like I said, I'm just picking out the things that I think are applicable for me and you'll figure out what's applicable uh, and works for you and your organization. Absolutely. So thank you so much, Greg. This has been a really insightful session and all the points from content to business goals. I am pretty sure that this is definitely going to help the listeners. And if anyone is interested, they can also read your book. I started this podcast because I wanted to learn more about user research from the greatest people out there. And in my journey, I've got to know about great books and great methods. So adding to someone's knowledge base, that will be like the best thing ever that could happen to the user researcher. So thank you so much for all your insights and everything. Thank you for having me. And like you said, I, I do have a book, but if some if somebody wants to sign up for my newsletter, I try to share some tips on UX research every couple of weeks. So uh, if you're interested in more of what you just heard, find me on LinkedIn or on my website and subscribe and I will keep sharing information. Thank you so much, Craig. Have a great day. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun.